to Matthew, excuse me, excuse me, Mark, Mark, this morning, have you got a few minutes for me to speak some words to you? Mark chapter 16, the end of the book of Mark, Mark 16. ministers to me the, uh, the purity and sincerity of the children. That's the thing. I, I don't like these. You, you see, it's popular nowadays to see some of these commercials, and they've got little children talking like adults. You know, I don't like that. I don't like that. That's a distortion. That's a perversion. Uh, Jesus said uh, that the kingdom of heaven is like these little children. This this innocence, this sincerity, this genuineness, this purity is not to be mocked. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yes. It's godly. Yes. Amen? Yes. And uh, we, we don't want to be any part of distorting it or defiling it. We want to reinforce it. We write with the Word of God, with love, with faith around these little ones. And uh, the Bible said we need to be converted and be like a little child in those regards, right? They don't need to become uh, corrupted and defiled. We need to become simple and pure. Can you say glory to God? In Mark 16, Mark 16, the first chapter, let me just read uh, these verses out loud. And let's remind ourselves of these wonderful truths. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had, brought, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. They were affrighted. And he said to them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Somebody say, He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He said, but go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee, and there shall you see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed, and neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Now you know it includes that, that uh, part of her history. And isn't it wonderful to realize that no matter how low you had been and how far down you had gone, that you could, you could be uh, cleansed and you could be given a place of honor, that you'd be one of the first ones that the Lord would appear to and have it recorded for everybody to know for eternity. No matter how much sin you've been in, no matter how low you've been, that doesn't mean God can't use you. People say, yeah, but you just don't know what I've done. Yeah, and you don't know how powerful the blood is. 
doesn't matter. It's not more powerful than the blood. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And, and they, when they had heard he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the residue, neither believed they them. Let's just stop here. As you, uh, as you read this story, you know, Peter and John are a perfect example of this. They ran to the tomb. And uh, uh, Peter wasn't sure what he saw. He saw the grave clothes, but the body's gone. And the others, the same thing, when they heard what the women said, uh, they, they, they didn't believe. But the Bible said John looked in there, he just took one look, and he believed. Believed what? Believe that what Jesus said would happen has happened. He has, he has risen from the dead. And you hear people say, well, I, I just can't believe that. That's just too far-fetched. Virgin birth, uh, resurrection, uh, that's just, I can't believe that. That's not true, that you can't believe it. You choose not to believe it. Faith is a choice. People say, well, I can't believe all that creation that God spoke and the worlds were created and the mountains and oceans were formed. I'm a man. I'm a woman of science. I believe in the Big Bang Theory. None of that's proven. You, you believe that. It's a belief. Are you with me, friends? None of that's proven. Well, I believe in evolution. That's, none of that's proven. There's a reason why they call it a theory. It is not scientific fact. It's a theory, and people have chosen to believe it. Just like we've chosen to believe that God created the heavens and the earth, they've chosen to believe something else. Not that they can't believe God created it. They simply choose not to and choose to believe something else that they have no evidence for. Do you see this, friends? Faith is a choice. And if you'll be honest, when you hear the good news of the gospel, when you hear about what these, these lovely children portrayed today, when you see that, when you hear that, your heart tells you that's right. Exactly. Now you can override that with your head and you can choose not to believe it and you can believe anything you choose to believe, no matter how weird or, you, I mean, you can believe uh, uh, aliens did it. You can believe all kind of crazy stuff. But in your heart... If you'll be honest, it tells you, yes, there is a creator. Yes, there is a savior. Yes, he is Jesus. And if, if you'll be honest and choose to say, I believe that, it will change your whole life. Christians, do you believe that? It'll change your whole life. Mm, thank you, Master. He appeared unto the eleven, as they said at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. They should have believed. They should have chosen to believe, just like John did the first time they heard about him being risen. Because they believed not when which, uh, them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said to them, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they'll cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it'll not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Aren't you thankful for that? So then after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, and he sat on the right hand of God. I want you to say this out loud. He was received, he was received up into heaven. Up into heaven. 
And he sat down on the right hand of God. Then it says, they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following, amen. Now, this time of the year and on these days, uh, people are mindful, Christians are mindful of the resurrection of the Master, the Lord Jesus, and uh, stirring ourselves up in remembrance and being thankful as well we should. But I think sometimes people stop with the, the, the raising from the dead, the end of the three days and nights, and early that morning, he's risen from the dead, and praise God, he didn't just die and remain dead and perish, and that was the end. He was raised from the dead, and they're thankful, but that's, that's kind of the end of the story for them. But it's not the end of the story, is it? It's not the end of the story. He was dead. He did uh, take our place. He did pay the price for our failures and our sins and our mistakes. Judgment that should have come on us came on him. And he did raise from the dead triumphantly, victoriously over death, hell, the grave, your sin, my sin, the judgment for sin. He has, He is, risen, raised from the dead. But the Scripture tells us very plainly, once He raised from the dead, what He did. Where did He go? Why? Where is He right now? What's He doing? (laughs) Are you with me, friends? If He's alive, He's alive. He's somewhere doing something. You're alive. You're here doing something. He's alive. Where is he? Look Look at that verse next to the last verse. What did it say? Where is he? He was received up into heaven. Where is he? He's in heaven. Is heaven a real place? Absolutely. And he sat down on the right hand of God. You know, years later, when Stephen was stoned, the Lord opened his eyes, let him see in the Spirit. This is years after this. And he said, I see the Son of God. I see him at the right hand of the Father standing. Why? That's where he went. Stephen saw him years later. That's where he is. I want us to talk about why he's there. And what he's doing now since he has risen from the dead. Are you interested? Do you care? The scripture tells us, you don't have to try to turn to these, but just listen. We started out talking about this earlier in the service, that what he has done, he has done for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, you don't have to turn there, just listen. said, he has made him to be sin for us. Somebody say, for me. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Somebody say, for me. For me. me. Ephesians 5.2 says, Christ has loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor or smell. He gave himself, why, why? Say, for me. For me. For me. He became a curse 
for me. He became sin for me. He was made sin. And he was offered himself up a sacrifice for for me. Ephesians, excuse me, Hebrews rather. Hebrews 9 and 12. It says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. Don't you like those last two words? Huh? Having obtained eternal redemption for us, for you, for me, for us. Somebody say, for us. For us. Now, you can turn to Hebrews 9 if you want to. That's the 12th verse of the 9th chapter. Look down at the 24th verse. Hebrews 9, 24. Did he raise from the dead? Yes. Now, when he did, where did he go? He went into heaven. And it tells us exactly where in heaven. There's a place in heaven where the throne of God is, where the Father, the Almighty, sits. And Jesus has gone into heaven, and he has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Mm-mm-mm. That's where he is. Now we're talking about why he went there, why he is there. Hebrews 9, 24, Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. See, Moses was instructed to, to, to build a, a tabernacle, and then later under Solomon they built the temple, and they got specific instructions about where uh, the altar was and, and the, the mercy seat and the angels. And, and the Bible tells us those uh, descriptions were patterns of what is actually in heaven. But Jesus is not a priest after earthly things. He didn't go into an earthly temple to, to offer sacrifice. He went into heaven itself. Oh, somebody say glory to God. Into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God. And I want you to notice the next two words. He's gone into heaven. We know that. He's at the right hand of the Father. We know that. Why is He there? For us. Why is He there? He is in the presence of God right now for us. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Lord. For us. I'm getting excited. Somebody say, for me. Why is He there? He's at the right hand of majesty on high, the right hand of the throne of God for you Lord. right now. He's there for you. Say, He's there for me. Say it again. He's there for me. He's there for me. Man, if you just go around thinking about that the rest of the day and the rest of the night, it will do amazing things in you and for you. Say it one more time. He is there, he is there. For, me. for me. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. In the book of Job, if you want to go back there and read with me, Job the ninth chapter. Job chapter 9. This is long before Jesus came and was born 
a man and paid our sacrifice. This was not in the new covenant. This was before, long, long before people could be born again. Long before people could be filled with the Spirit like we are today. Long before people knew about or had the right to the name of Jesus and authority in that name. And Job was hit with a severe attack. The Bible tells us the devil came and influenced people and stole all his stuff and created storms. How many know destructive storms are not of God? Amen. They're not. Amen. They're not. It's the enemy. And you see a big storm, a tornado headed towards your house, you need to command it to go somewhere else. Hallelujah. Right? Amen. Be bold. And say, in the name of Jesus. No, you don't. One thing storms need to do is dissipate. That's a good word. You don't necessarily want to send it to your neighbor's house. (laughs) Go around me. Yeah, well, there's somebody over there, too. (laughs) Tell it to dissipate. That's what thunderstorms do. You know, they develop, they build to their full strength and height, and then they dissipate, and they they turn into no threat. So, uh, you know, we've had a whole lot of that. So you see something headed towards your area, speak to it. You have a right to speak concerning your house. I I don't care where I'm at. If I see something on the radar, I start speaking over you, uh, your houses, and and our church, and our stuff. Amen. Amen. And tell it to dissipate and not touch our stuff and not harm us. Well, he didn't know about this kind of thing back then. This is back before the new birth. This is back before the church. And he is hit and he's sick and, and all his, he's lost everything and he needs help. Everything about him is crying out for help. And notice what he says in Job 9 and 2. I'm reading out of the NIV. Job 9 and 2 NIV. Job in his pain, in his dilemma, in his situation, he says, how can a mortal be righteous before God? Though one wished to dispute with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. He said, how am I going to get into a a discussion with God? I couldn't answer him one out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves mountains without their knowing it. That's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) His mountains go, wow, when did that happen? (laughs) Another place. He overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun. It does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Stop right here. Why is he describing all this? He says, how can I talk to him? And what you can see throughout this, he's saying, how can he relate to me? He is almighty. He is all-knowing. He is completely pure. He is totally perfect. And me, I'm barely cognizant (laughs) and so ignorant and so weak 
and have failed and have been defiled. How can he even relate to me? How could we talk? Do you see what he's saying? How could I hold a conversation? He said, I couldn't answer him one out of a thousand. Do, do, do you feel his pain? Do you see where he is? He went on to say, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He's the maker of the bear and Orion, Pleiades, the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes me, I can't see him. When he goes by, I can't perceive him. If he snatches away, who can stop him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? (laughs) Who's going to tell God, what are you doing? God does not restrain his anger. Even the cohorts of Rahab covered, cowered at his feet. How then can I dispute with him? How can I find words to argue with him? Though I were innocent, I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. How can I talk to him? How can I approach to him? He he, he cannot see how God could even relate to him and how he can relate to omnipotence. And verse 32 Verse 32, he is not a man like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. Verse 33, if only there was someone (laughs) to arbitrate between us, somebody that could lay his hand on me and could lay his hand on God. Somebody that understood me and that understood God. Somebody that could relate to me and could relate to God. How many know he's speaking prophetically? He doesn't know it. He doesn't see the answer. He doesn't know it. But by the Spirit, he knows he desperately needs help. He needs somebody to represent him. He needs a mediator. He needs an advocate. He needs Jesus. You know it. I know it. He didn't know it. I'm glad I came this morning. If only there was someone to arbitrate between us to lay his hand upon us, someone to remove God's rod from me. Somebody that could get judgment off of me. Get punishment off of me. So that his terror would frighten me no more. Because he said, I, I don't know how I can talk to him. Then I would speak up if I had somebody. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me. I cannot. In Job 16, 21, he said it again. You don't have to turn there, but they put Job 16. He said, Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleads for his neighbor. Go with me to Hebrews. If you're interested in studying this more later, read this whole book of Hebrews carefully. There's a wealth about this. In this book. Hebrews the fourth chapter. Verse 
Hebrews 4 and verse 12. He said, the Word of God is quick, living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Verse 13, neither is there any creature or creation that is not manifested in his sight. His refers to what? The previous verse. The Word. A lot of times when we read verse 12, we have thought about the book. It's referring to the person. The Word. And the book, of course, reveals the person. But when, he talk, when we hear the phrase, the Word... We should think person, not just book, ink, and paper. Back up to verse 12, read it again. The Word of God. The next time we hear the phrase Word of God referred to, it says His. The Word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Verse 13. Neither is there any creation that's not manifest in His, the Word's, sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him, the Word, with whom we have to do. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, the Word. Oh, somebody getting anything out of this? We have a great high priest, the Word, who became flesh and dwelt among us. That is passed into the heavens. Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Our confession. Verse 15. For we have not a high priest. Which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are. Yet without sin. Now you hear people say. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Not true. Nobody knows what I've been through, what we've been through. Not true. I said not true. See, Job was saying, how can God relate to me? How can I relate to him? And then prophetically he cries out, I need somebody. I need an advocate. I need somebody between us to arbor. I need somebody. Now we have somebody. Somebody who's been where we are in every regard. Jesus was perfect. He didn't know what it's like to be me. He knows exactly what it's like to be you. He was tempted. Come on, can you read the scripture? We don't have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Infirmities means weaknesses. That means he was touched. He did experience all the feelings of all our weaknesses. Well, how would he know how I felt? He has felt it. No. Yeah. Jesus never felt the way I did. Yes. He couldn't have. No way. Because he never sinned. So how could he know what it feels like to sin and be a miserable failure? Good question. Glad I asked it. No, he had never sinned, but when he went to the cross, 
He was made sin with your sin, and he felt all the feelings that go with the despair and the judgment, and not just with all the sins in your life, but plus all the sins in my life and everybody else's at the same time. And temptation, he doesn't know what it's like to be tempted. Oh, yes, he does. Look at the verse, verse 15. He was what? He was tempted how? How? Most ways? A lot of ways? No. In all points, like as we are. Well, Jesus was never tempted to do what I've been tempted to do. Yes, temptation is not a sin. Yielding to the temptation, acting on it is a sin. And Jesus was not only tempted with all the temptations and anything you've ever been tempted with, he was pushed beyond that. The Bible said you and I have not yet resisted unto blood. You have never been tempted and pushed to the point that blood came out of your pores because you're resisting that temptation. You hadn't been that far. I hadn't been that far. He has. So don't tell him he doesn't know. Don't tell him he doesn't understand. Don't ever say again, nobody knows. Don't ever say again, nobody can relate. Who can relate? Nobody understands. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Jesus has been there and beyond and back. Oh, hallelujah. He's been there. He felt it. He saw it. He's been through it. He's been tempted with it. He's been pushed and pressed. And he, with all that experience, all that is at the right hand of the Father. Why? 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 So that it can never be said again that nobody knows at the throne what it's like down here. In the muck and the mire with the sin and the junk and the ignorance and the weakness and the curse. Nobody really knows. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, he does. And he's there to represent you. And he's there to represent me. Verse 16, can you read it? 416. What does it say? Knowing that. Knowing we got a high priest like this, knowing we got representation, knowing that we know somebody in there. Oh, come on, you're not with me. You know the rest of the verse, we're going somewhere, we're going in the throne, into the very throne room. High in the world, why wouldn't we be like Job, falling over ourselves and I can't go in there. I'm too defiled, I'm too ignorant, I wouldn't even know what to say. I can't go in there. I can't go in there unless you know somebody in there. Unless you know somebody in there that knows you, that you know before you go in is for you. He's there for you to represent you. That would enable you to come boldly into the throne of grace and obtain your mercy and get your grace to help you whatever you're needing. Because you know somebody's got your back. Somebody's got you in the throne room for you. Mm -mm. Go to the seventh chapter of Hebrews, just over a couple of pages. Hebrews 7, 
Hebrews 7, verse 25. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth. Where is he? Where is he? He's in heaven, specifically at the right hand of the throne of majesty. Doing what? He's always there. He will always be alive, and he's always there to do what? We already read, it's for us. He's appearing in the presence of God for us. This is more, more detailed. He ever lives to make intercession for them. Intercession is not just a prayer term. Religion has made it that. Intercession is a legal term. It's a courtroom term. You'll see this terminology when it refers to um, mediation, advocacy, right? These are the terms that are used to describe this. And to intercede is one who is acting as your advocate, mediating and interceding, going in between. Between what? Between you and the perfect father. <laughs> Verse, uh, the Amplified, let me read the Amplified of that to you. It said, he is able also to save to the uttermost completely perfectly, finally, and for all time and eternity, those who come to God through him, since he is always living to make petition to God and intercede with him and intervene for them. Them who? Us. The complete English version says it like this. The CEV, complete English says, He is forever able to save the people He leads to God because He always lives to speak to God for them. Where is He? He's in heaven. Why is He there? He's always there to speak to God on our behalf. For us. Oh, mama. The Living Bible says it like this. The Living Bible. He is able to save completely all those who come to God through him. Since he will live forever, he will always be there to remind God that he has paid for their sins with his blood. He's always there. To do what? Anything we would do to mess it up, any sin, any failure, any disobedience, and the enemy would say, well, I got a right to put sickness on them. I got a right to, to mess up their minds. I got a right to mess up their life. He says, the stripes I bore takes care of that. My blood on the mercy seat takes care of that. My substitution, my sacrifice covers that. Yes, he rose from the dead. Yes, we ought to shout about it. Yes, we ought to be glad. Yes, we ought to remember it. We ought not stop there. I said we ought not stop there. We ought to follow the rest of the story. He rose from the dead and he went right up. He went right up. Why? To get to work. 
for you and me. Why? Because we needed it. And we need him every day. And we need him every night. And he's always there. He ever lives to do it. He didn't just love you and went to the cross for you and died uh, past tense for you and rose past tense for you. He loves uh, you because he lives uh, for you. Come on now. Intercedes uh, present tense for you. Glory to God. Thank you, Master. He didn't just love you at the cross. And that was the end of it. He did. But He loves you every day and night at the throne. Right now, somebody say, Glory to God. Glory to God. Go to 1 John. I'm, I'm thinking about closing. 1 John. What you in a rush for anyway? <laughs> to get wet? <laughs> First John 2. This is such wonderful scripture. First John 2 and verse 1. First John 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, <laughs> what's it best to do? Don't sin. <laughs> but <laughs> do people sin and miss it? And if any man sin, I like to say it like this, he's saying, don't sin. But if anybody sins, it's not the end. But if anybody does sin, it's not the end. Why? Why is it not the end when you sin? Oh, somebody didn't hear that. Somebody said, yeah, you messed up. You messed up big time and it's the end of you. No, no, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, but you don't know what I did. Yeah, but do you know what it means to have somebody in your corner in the throne room of the Most High? <laughs> oh, friend, the more you learn about this, the more you love Jesus. He just is everything. Is He everything to you? He ought to be. If you realize it, you'll just, you'll just shout for days and go, He's everything, everything, everything. If any man sin, it's not the end. Because we have an advocate. Advocate refers to counsel for the defense. Advocate refers to representation. And we're not talking about representation at the county courthouse. We're not talking about representation... At the state courthouse. We're not talking about representation at the Supreme Court of the United States. We're talking about you. 
you. Do you believe this or not? Come on, then, man, this will expand you if you believe. You, your name, you, have personal representation in the highest court of the universe. Do you believe this or not? You have personal representation. Somebody say, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, my advocate, my representation before the Father in the high court of heaven. I am represented. Revelation tells us about the beautiful throne that God sits on and the winged creatures that cry holy, holy, holy. We've been reading about it, right? The four and twenty elders that fall down, throw their crowns and the beautiful rainbow and the, the crystal sea. Perfection, perfection, purity, holiness, power beyond description. And there's a man, a man at the right hand. A man who's been there, seen it all, felt it all, been through it all, got scars in his hands. Scars, scars. A man with scars sitting right there in the middle of it. And he's not there representing himself. He's not there for himself. He's there for us. Oh, friend, the fact that he's there means we got a right to be there. Because when he was raised, we were raised. Didn't it say Ephesians? We've been raised up together with him and made to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not because of what we did, because of what he did. But we still got the right to be there. It's our future. It's our destiny. It's our call. If you'll pay attention to it, there's something right in you right now. It's being pulled on by that. Soon and very soon you'll be there. Mm -mm -mm. When you get there, you might be tempted to be so blown away by the perfection and by the holiness and the cleanness and the purity and then you remember, I know somebody here. <laughs> I, got, I got a contact here. I, <laughs> How many believe Jesus will make you feel at home? Huh? He'll make you feel like you belong. Because in Him you do. Because when the Father, when He was raised from the dead, 
And he went, you know, when, when he saw the women and he said, don't touch me because I've not yet ascended. It's because he had not gone into the Holy of Holies and offered his own blood. It was, it was portrayed in the Levitical priesthood. They had to cleanse themselves. Nobody could see them. Nobody could touch them until they went in and they offered the blood and then they came back out. That was all a type of what was to happen with Jesus in the real Holy of Holies. And glory to God, he went in there, he made that sacrifice, and when the Father accepted that sacrifice, he accepted all of us as cleansed and made acceptable. Hallelujah! When he accepted Jesus and accepted that sacrifice, he accepted everybody that would believe on Jesus. Mm-mm-mm. The NIV in verse 2. The NIV says, Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. If anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous. The, the, the BBE, the BBE says, We have a friend. I like singing that song we do around here sometimes. I have a friend. His name is Jesus. We have a friend and a helper with the Father. Jesus Christ, the upright one. Somebody say, I have a friend in heaven. You're talking about friends in high places. That, that blows everything else. When somebody tells you they know somebody, don't you feel intimidated. <laughs> Because they don't know anybody that tops this. <laughs> It'd help you if you just go around the rest of the week saying once in a while, I know somebody. I know some. I have a friend. And I'm talking about a friend in the throne room who represents me. Not represents God against me represents me before God's justice and perfection. Now go to Romans 8. I think I'm closing with this. Romans 8. Romans 8.31. Thank you, Lord. I think we need to back up a little bit. Back up to verse 29. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's us. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. In his mind, it's all done. We're yet to experience and walk out a lot of this, but everything from us even finding out about Jesus to us being glorified in heaven with him, it's all done in the mind of God. Verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? 
If God be for us, who can be against us? Or you might be able to say, what difference would it make? (laughs) Who was against us? Because if God is for you, God is for you. Who could ever successfully be against you? Now, now, we've quoted that. We've shouted about that. But keep it in context with the next few verses. What exactly is he's talking about when he says, if God's for you, who can be against you? Verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's talking about God giving us things. Verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? This is courtroom phraseology. Who will lay anything to the charge of God's elect? That's a question. It is, is added by the translators, God that justifieth could be, you could put a question mark behind that. Who is going to lay, who's going to charge Or bring charges against those God has selected and elected. God going to bring charges against them? He's the one that justified them. Come on, can you see this? So no, not God. Verse 34. Who's he that condemns? Who's going to pronounce as guilty and condemn? Christ that died? Yea, rather that is risen again? And what else? Come on, help me out. Who is even... At the right hand of God, who also maketh his present tense continuum. He's make, makes. He's making right now and will keep on making intercession. Come on, those last two words. Those last, for us. Who's going to bring charges against us before God? Not God. He's the one justified us. Who's going to condemn us and say we're a lousy bunch of sinners and we ought to be judged and we ought to be sick, we ought to be broke, we ought to go to hell? Not Jesus. He's the one came and bore the price and paid the price. And not only did he do that, he's living every day and night to represent us before the Father. So if God's not against us, Jesus's not against us, they're for us. Somebody said, well, the devil's against me. So what? He's a strip brought to naught. Defe- Who is he before God? Well, these folks against me. That's for- Who are they? If God is for you, who can be against you? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who and what? can come in and make Jesus quit loving us and make him quit representing us and make him quit being there for our defense and on our behalf. Could there be enough tribulation? Could there be enough distress? Could there be enough persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword that would stop what Jesus has done and continues to do for us every day and night? I say no. Verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. No matter what it looks like. No matter what it feels like. Verse 37. Nay. Anybody know what nay means? 
Nay, nay is answering the question. Can any of that stuff stop the love of God, the love of Jesus for us? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Keep going. I'm persuaded. Me too. I'm persuaded too that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Next verse. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. He was there for me at the cross. He was there for me. Not for him. He didn't need any, any payment for his sins. He had no sins. He didn't need any healing for his sickness. He had no sickness. He didn't need any, any restoration of his peace. He had perfect peace. He was there for me. Somebody say, he was there for me. He was there at the scourging post for me and you. He was there at the cross for me. He went to the depths and bore the judgment of sin for me. He was raised from the dead for me. He went to heaven for me. He's at the right hand of the Father for me. He's ever living to make intercession for me. And He's coming back. He's coming back real soon for me. Will anything ever be able to stop that and change that and cause Him to not be there for me? No. No. There ain't enough devils. There ain't enough crazy people. There ain't enough sin. Come on, are you listening to me? That, that's what he said. Not to can't get high enough, can't get deep enough, can't get ugly enough, can't get bad enough. Nothing will ever be able to separate me from the love that he has for me. Somebody say glory to God. Didn't he say, I will never leave you. Or forsake you. I'll be with you always to the end of the world and how many know and beyond. Stand on your feet, everybody. Oh, let's lift up our hands. Let's praise the Lord. Let's give Him thanks. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's sing, He is Lord. He's Lord. He's risen from the dead and He's Lord. He is.